Whether as deliverers or receivers, we all know the power of good customer service. But as we take our first tentative steps towards a post-COVID world, what does good customer service look like? For today's Better Managers Briefing podcast, Matt Roberts is joined by Joe Coulson, a CMI companion and CEO of the Institute of Customer Services. Joe, you've recently uh, launched the most recent edition of the Customer Service Index. And uh, I wondered perhaps you could kick off by just giving us uh, a little bit of an insight and a summary of the the findings, what I found to be a very fascinating read. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt. And so the UKCSI, for those of you that don't know, it, is something that the Institute has done now for over 10 years. And it marks uh, customer satisfaction across 13 different industry sectors across the UK and looks at over 45,000 responses. So it's a pretty big index that we do. And as I said, it tends to be seen as the barometer of customer satisfaction. And Matt, as you said, what a, an extraordinary year that we have had. And I think it's fair to say that it has been the most unusual and challenging year for customer service more generally since the beginning of the UK CSI. And I suppose a few things that I would really tease out from the latest survey. I think, number one, it is quite clear that obviously the COVID-19 crisis is not over, certainly not in the UK and absolutely not in terms of the global um, uh, the global impact. Uh, and also the longer term impacts, I think, of, uh, of COVID have not um, been fully apparent as of yet. Um, what we've also seen through this latest UK CSI is definitely a bit of a polarisation in terms of performance of both organisations, but also from a customer experience. So overall, the index nudged slightly higher, but I would be concerned if we saw that as a positive, if I was honest, because actually over 15% of the people, Matt, have experienced a problem. That's the highest rate uh, since 2009. But the counterbalance of that is even though we might have experienced more problems, we've got better at complaint handling. So in a nutshell, I think what we're saying is that we've got better at dealing with an issue when it happens, so service recovery, but we're not doing so well in terms of preventing those problems from happening in the first place. Well, that's a great summary for us to uh, to explore further throughout the rest of the conversation. As you say, over the last 16 months or so, it's been an incredible time, I guess, for, for all of us and certainly challenging for organisations and how they deliver customer service and for their customers themselves. Um, are there any aspects that you've seen start to emerge from the pandemic of what a new level of good practice looks like? So, again, I think, as I said, we're, we're still coming out of this, but you're absolutely right, Matt. We are starting to see what's important. So what have organisations done well throughout the pandemic that we would want to see continued? I think one of the key things is around communication, and that obviously is so important anyway in terms of the management and leadership field, but clear, honest transparent communication and regular communication in a really connected way. So understanding, stepping in the shoes of our customers, understanding what their particular challenges and issues are. So and and being very proactive with that. Those organisations that have done that have done well. In addition to that, thinking through, so avoiding what I would term blanket statements. You know, what we've seen is that you know, actually customer expectations are as high as they were prior to uh, COVID. So how do you manage those expectations when we're often actually under quite a lot of pressure as organisations? So thinking about not having blanket comms around, you know, because of COVID, we cannot do, but actually explaining what you're doing about it. So 
for example, things like better scheduling of appointments, you know, reaching out and saying that this is the best way to contact us or think about the timings, uh, you know, in terms of one's busy and one's less busy. Supporting where organisations have supported the well-being of their customers. So they're, again, they've stepped into those shoes and really, really thought about how they can help through better advice or better knowledge, better signposting. So trying to make the interaction as easy as possible, Matt, is one of the key lessons that I think that we've been learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. And I find it really interesting that, you know, you found that customer expectations are now back to sort of the levels that they were pre-pandemic. And and yet there are so many challenges for for many organisations in how they deliver their services, their products and so forth. Do you, do you think that's realistic? Do you, do you think customers, in a way, need to sort of slightly temper their expectations at the, at the moment, or has that ship sailed? Well, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? And again, back to the UK CSI, nearly 25%, so 24%, but nearly a quarter of uh, customers feel that organisations are using, or sometimes using COVID as an excuse. So do they expect too much? I think the reality is, is that's that's the reality for them. So they're expecting us to be able to respond. Uh, whether we will have to moderate, given the challenges that we've got in the wider world, our own expectations of service levels, then possibly we will. But I think it's also incumbent on us as organisations to really listen to that. And as I said, not, not just uh, give blanket statements. So I think... We are much more sympathetic, we're much more appreciative and we're much more understanding when an organisation takes the time to explain those challenges. So, yes, we may have to moderate our expectations, but it's also up to the organisation to help us to manage that and to be open and honest and transparent through it. So there's a responsibility on both sides. You know, I always say, Matt, the customer isn't always right, but they have rights. And certainly ignoring, uh, you know, or saying one of those really frustrating things when you say, you know, your call is important to me, but I've been hanging on the call for the last 30 minutes. Well, that's just not acceptable. Or things like, you know, using live chat when it's not really live, as in you're still queuing for it. So really thinking as an organisation about what it feels like to be in those customer shoes and to have an honest dialogue with them rather than uh, just ignoring it is probably one of the big things that we need to get better at. Mm -hmm. So back to that that point that those organisations that are not going on a blanket approach, that are treating customers with respect as individuals, communicating openly, they're finding better ways of helping to manage expectations if there is a challenge because of the, the current scenario. I've got so many questions that I want to fire your way today, Joe, and um, I'm going to have to hold back from monopolising the session. But I can't resist asking you two or three more, if, if I may, Joe. So, you know, I know that recently you've launched a new service with respect campaign. Uh, and I also know that's in response, unfortunately, to a, a rise in the levels of hostility and even abuse that customer service professionals are facing. Um, perhaps you could just outline a little bit about the campaign and what the aims are that you're looking to achieve there. Absolutely. Thank you, Matt. And, um, you know, as we said, you can't hide behind all the concept of of poor customer service. As organisations, we have to deal with that. But what we certainly have seen, and it's uh, it's a campaign which we've started last June, and it's on the back of that we have seen across a whole range of different industry sectors, 
a significant increase in hostility or abuse towards customer facing staff. Now, this can be people in the field. So it could be engineers. This could be people in contact centers. This can be in the retail space. And how that's manifesting itself will be a range of uh, from verbal abuse uh, or, you know, uh, social media abuse all the way through to, sadly, as well, physical abuse. And, you know, what shocks me and probably you, Matt, is that these are the very people that have tried to keep the lights on, make sure that we're well fed and sure that the, you know, our essential services have continued. So our campaign really is about firstly highlighting this as an issue highlighting that it's not just in the retail world, it is across a whole range of different industry sectors, helping our members, organisations and wider organisations to help support their staff when they're going through this. So are we reporting it properly? Uh, are we giving enough training and support for dealing, you know, for, for colleagues that are in that position to deal with a hostile situation and managing that? And also as an organisation, have we stated that we've got a zero tolerance towards this um, uh, this level of abuse? We've got over 160 organisations that have signed up for it, which is great. So that's really getting behind this and really trying to champion this. And then the other two parts of the campaign is one really, you know, as much as possible to reach out to consumers, to ask them to just pause and think. You know, there's a big difference, Matt, between getting a bit frustrated because we've queued for too long and actual physical or verbal abuse, shouting, swearing, et cetera, at somebody. So just trying to get people to think. And given we've been in COVID, you know, we were having the conversation before we started you know, we, we need to get used to the fact that we're now back out in the world and need to be actually more engaging. So you know, thinking about as consumers what our behaviour is. And then finally, the last part is we're working with our all parliamentary group, customer service uh, group, really to actually look to think about what deterrence could we put in place, be that in terms of a change in the law or a parallel law, to really get a big focus on, on these important roles and these important people to make sure that they've actually got the, the level of support that they require as a deterrent arguably actually you know there's a standalone offense uh, for this so it's a really important campaign people can get involved it's on our website matt and you know it's about trying to get behind those people that are really driving forward in terms of, of the whole kind of customer service agenda really and supporting them well, we, we wholeheartedly support you in that campaign, Joe. And as you say, these are people that have kept the lights on. And great, there's been a lot of priority given and, and profile given to key workers and people in those sorts of roles. But so sad to hear that the opposite end of things where this abuse is uh, is happening is, is on the rise. One of the things that I also found interesting about, you know, recent work that you've done at the Institute is the importance of trust. And that I know that one of your findings is that organisations that build a culture around trust tend to be better performing generally. And there's a, a real parallel there with what we find consistently with our, our research into good quality standards of management and leadership, of course. So how important is trust? And, and maybe you can elaborate a little bit on mm. some of the business benefits that come forward in terms of customer service. Absolutely. And, and not surprisingly, given the world that we're now living in, you know, it's much more transparent. We've been living in each other's homes, you know, organisations that I think reach out are honest, are authentic. You can see that there's a direct correlation between customer service. So higher levels of customer service drive higher levels of trust. But also as consumers, we are much more likely to be loyal to, spend more with 
organizations that we trust. And going back to the UK CSI, it's one of the key measures. And the reason why this is important, um, actually, Matt, is we know that there is a link between higher levels of employee engagement, very important in terms of this uh, of the subject that we're talking about today, high levels of employee engagement, customer satisfaction, and also we've proved at the Institute the return on investment of that. So where organizations have higher levels of uh, customer satisfaction over a longer period, they'll have a 10 percentage point higher level of profitability. They will have higher levels, about 5% higher levels of revenue, and they have higher levels of productivity in terms of their own um, staff. And this also links to trust. So above nine out of 10, simply in terms of customer satisfaction, you could actually have as much as a 50% higher level of reputation and also loyalty. So there's a really clear correlation between the elements of trust. Do I trust this organization to do the right thing? Do I think that it is ethically sound? All of those things, you know, how you make me feel when you're um, serving me will absolutely drive into the whole trust agenda. So really critical. It's fascinating that you've got that, that thread established in terms of those links, to the, the business performance. Great to hear. Okay, last question from me then before we, we hand over to questions from, from the audience. What would be your advice to perhaps a, a customer service manager or somebody working in an organisation where perhaps the senior leaders are not quite as enlightened about the importance of trust and transparency and so forth? Um, what would your advice be to help them to sort of, I guess, implement that into the culture and, and bring about the benefits you just outlined? And I'm sure that is not the case of any of the people that are listening today. Um, but you're absolutely right, Matt. I mean, helping uh, anybody that's in a in a customer facing role to bring the business case. Yeah, what's the business case for customer service is really really important. So what I would always say is, you know, try and understand the issues and the challenges that that individual has. Uh, you know, what are the, the purpose of the organization, uh, the metrics inside the organization and what the organization is trying to deliver? And then when bringing your case for why we should invest in this particular system or this particular service strategy, try and relate that very closely back to the purpose of the organization, so how it will improve the performance of the organization, how it will uh, perhaps reduce um, cost to the organization. Because we also know that there's a clear link between you know, reducing the number of complaints. You know, you know I said to you before around... Uh, Matt, that uh, we've got more pr problems than we've ever had, but better satisfaction with that. Now, that is an issue because we want to eradicate. Now, you're not going to replace every complaint. Of course, you're not. Yeah. But the more that you can reduce that, then that's an inefficiency in the business. So when you're bringing the business case, think in the context of the business that you're trying to, you know, the issues or the challenges that you're trying to deliver as an organization and start thinking in the language of those that make those decisions. So how are you going to show an efficiency? How are you going to be able to improve the complaint process? How are you going to be able to improve the um, perhaps the process or the, the time spent on something by implementing a new approach towards your customer service? And that doesn't have to just be about systems. That can also be about training and development. You know, how are we training our people to have higher levels of empathy so that we resolve some of those issues before they actually perhaps get that far? Or, you know, reduce something from a complaint back down to, you know, a good dialogue or a conversation. So walk in the eyes and the shoes, if you like, of the uh, of the person you're trying to convince. 
fantastic tips on uh, on how to implement that that better culture. Uh, mm. Thanks, Joe. I'm I'm going to hand over now to questions from the audience, um, and the, the first one comes from Alex, and, and actually relates a little bit about, uh, back to what you've just mentioned around empathy. So Alex asks, as we move to ever more digital solutions for customer service, how do we ensure that empathy and emotion are not lost in digital translation, so to mm. speak? Alex, brilliant question. And, you know, probably one of the biggest things I think facing us at the moment is that balance between human intervention and digital intervention. So I think the first thing I would say about it is the future world and the world that we're trying to build, I believe, needs both. So you need to have a blended approach to both digital and human. Now, the thing that I was trying to suggest is that you know, anything that might be transactional that makes the life of the customer easy. So walking again and seeing in the eyes and the shoes of the customer, you know, if that's I know, booking tickets, Matt, if that's ordering things, then I actually may not want to speak to a human being. So the point around empathy on that, I just want it efficient, effective, timely and correct, you know. So actually, as much of that to be in a digitalized form, great. However, I want to be able to have the choice. And this is where your point comes in, Alex, around uh, making sure that you've still got the support in terms of empathy and emotion and not losing that. And that's really where, you know, you'd be utilising your people because the people skills that we're now going to be needing in customer service are very different to what they would have been five, 10 years ago. High levels of problem solving, high levels of emotional intelligence, empathy, the ability to communicate, the ability to make connections, you know, all the skills actually that most managers and leaders need inside organizations. Those are going to be the critical skills that we're going to need in order to be able to service. So automate the basics, because actually, you know, people don't want to be doing some of those things anyway. It makes a more interesting job. But think about what are the interactions that are going to require so moral decisions, complex issues, and have that on hand in terms of the human being to be able to actually interface. And then as we go forward, and we started to see this in terms of innovation, there's going to be a bit of a blending of what I call immersive technology. So as tech and AI starts to really kind of advance, that's when we'll start to see that combination of being able to have technical solutions which are more empathetic. Uh, you know, one of those great examples I've seen very recently with one of our members, they've been running, you know, in a contact center, you have the the uh, operatives, you have the human being, but running alongside that is, is the artificial intelligence that's telling you, you know, actually don't forget this, remind the person about that. This person feels a bit stressed, right? you know, the tone of voice, everything that you can slow down. And that is used as a great way, I think, of helping the contact center agent not getting in the way of it. So for me, the future is using tech in a really blended way and augmenting the human rather than replacing the human, if that makes sense. That's a fascinating slant on the way in which AI is being used almost to coach uh, somebody through uh, parts of a conversation. I'd, I'd not come across that before. Thank you, Joe. Um, our next question is from Marcus, and he asks, what learnings do you think we can take from customer service methods used throughout the pandemic, which will improve digital and remote support in the future? Okay, so obviously, clearly, one of the biggest things has been around the fact that we've all been working remotely, so the hybrid uh, world. And I think, you know, that has enabled us, I think, probably to embrace. I mean, most of the CEOs that I talk to tell me that they achieved more in the two weeks, you know, which would have taken them probably four years in terms of some of the decisions. So some of that that I think that we have learned has really, Matt, come from uh, being responsive. 
you know, getting on with things, focusing. So what's really, really critical? So this period has taught us to be both more mindful, but also understand what is critical in that service delivery and and really focusing on that. So I think, you know, Marcus, what I would say is the learnings that we've had are some things are better done uh, remotely, some things are better done in person. And, you know, you know, we'll know this, won't we, from our own engagements, our own people. If it's a collaborative piece of work, often, or very complex, often that's better done in person. If it is a piece of work that actually, um, you know, or using collaborative tools, which is also the other aspect of this, uh, or if it is something uh, that doesn't have to be done in that way, then we can do that more remote. But I think the biggest thing from the customer point of view is engaging in dialogue rather than just monologue. So outreach, you know, the more that you can outreach your customer base, the more you can use your customer base to test things, the more that you can get customers to teach customers. That's definitely going to be one of the future aspects of this. You know, we've seen this historically, it's not new, but I think more and more that will come to the fore. And then thinking about technical innovations like, you know, I've really liked for one, uh, you know, go out for lunch, I can use the app rather than leave my table. You know? And actually, that's been quite nice because I'm still wanting to talk to my friends. You know, so thinking about what are those interventions that tech has actually enhanced the customer experience rather than taking it away. And I think we'll build on those things. You know, another example might be the virtual catwalk in retail sense. And this blend between, so in retail, you know, a lot of the whole debate at the moment uh, is around whether we'll have a high street going forward. I think we will. But the shopping of the future is going to be much more about the theatre and the experience rather than the transaction. So think about what things are done in better in different situations, some remote, some digital. That's a long answer. Sorry, but hopefully that helps. <laughs> some great insights in there again. Um, the, the next question actually is anonymous. So apologies, we can't give a shout out to whoever raised it. But thank you. Nevertheless, uh, do you think. COVID in general has been having an effect that's leading to negative customer behaviour. And is it maybe that some organisations are taking advantage of COVID in the sense that they've, they've dropped their standards and perhaps using it as a bit of a smokescreen? Hmm, really good question. And actually it has come up in the UK CSI. So around about 24% of people that were surveyed in the UK CSI actually do feel that, that organisations in some cases are using uh, you know, COVID as an excuse. I think the honest truth and the answer to that is there will be some organisations that have actually really struggled through this because perhaps they've not been customer centric prior to COVID has made it even more challenging through this period. So I think there are examples of where organisations are not picking up that baton and are not running with it. But there are also plenty of good organisations that have really understood the importance of customer service and even maybe more enlightened through what we've gone through as part of COVID. And the same will be true of customers. Uh, you know, there are absolutely back to the service with respect campaign. There are absolutely some people that are not respecting customer service and not and, and behaving perhaps inappropriately, partly because of the situation they are in, more stressed, uh, you know, under more pressure, which is definitely creating, a, you know, a bigger issue. Uh, but there are also the, the, the reverse is true. So, yes, on both sides, you know, you are definitely going to see some experiences and how we handle those as customer service uh, and our teams handle that is going to be really important. And many of your people, Matt, on this call will be managing customer service operations. 
So one of the big things I think we have to think about is the impact that this is having on our colleagues and how we support them as leaders and managers uh, to manage some pretty difficult conversations uh, and also think about mental health, well-being, all of that, which I think is going to be quite important. But yes, is the answer. Okay, thank you. Uh, our next question is from Andrea, um, and she works for a small organisation, and she's noticed that customers are having increased expectations around the time it takes to respond to inquiries, and that's creating a level of pressure that's mounting to respond quickly. So how can individuals and organisations ensure that the quality of responses is not affected by the need for speed? Uh, really, really good point, and, and absolutely quality. You know, what I would say is, and this is quite interesting again, um, about 32% in our survey said that they, and this has gone up, that they will uh, gladly pay more for brilliant customer service. Most of us actually uh, want value for money and a very small percentage are interested just in price. So there's a really important thing for me over this around do not, so you're absolutely right, Andrew, do not sacrifice the quality uh, for the service, uh, you know, for speed. I think the big answer to this is being really honest, uh, setting clearly, you know, like, so for example, I'm sure we've all had this, um, you know, I buy something online, I go through all the whole kind of process. And then at the very end, they say, oh, by the way, this is going to be 16 weeks before my sofa arrives, or whatever that I've ordered. What I'd say is do that upfront. You know, kind of say, look, because of the issues and challenges that we've got, we are on hand to serve you, but you're seeing this, this and this. This is how long it's going to take. So manage me through that process. If I'm loyal to your brand, if I care about that, then actually a lot of us as customers will understand because this is a global issue. You know, the pandemic, Brexit, Suez Canal, supply shortages, you know, we are under huge pressure globally and in the UK in terms of some of these shortages. So very difficult to manage, I know, Andrea, and very difficult conversations. But I would encourage your staff to be open, honest, upfront and signpost people for how long it's going to take. Great advice. Uh, Joe. I think we've got time to sneak in one last question, if we can. And this one comes from Matteo. Uh, hi, Matteo. He asks, what are the challenges and opportunities that you think hybrid working practices will have on customer service and particularly for managers of customer service teams? Great question. Great, great question. So I think the first thing is I'd advise anybody in this situation to you know, take a moment, take a pause. It's a mad, mad world we're living in. And the reality is we're not the other side of COVID. So the first thing I would say is absolutely there's some great advantages and opportunities in terms of working in a hybrid way because that allows flexibility. We'll be able to work from potentially any location, you know, and actually that means that we can recruit and retain, hopefully, the best people to do those roles. So there's some huge opportunities in terms of retention of good people, also reducing their stress levels because we can flex a little bit more around how they spend their day. So we can think about work in a different way by being more remote. But I also think some of the other sides of that is that we lose some things in translation. So where there are things which are much better done together, so collaboration, you know, and bringing people together, we will still need to do that. 
So I think the positives in terms of remote is that we can attract a wider and more diverse uh, uh, workforce. We can be more flexible with those hours and we can hopefully give a better quality of life, which is great. The downside is, is we like people, so we are going to need to come together. And however much the virtual form uh, is OK, it doesn't solve all of our issues. So don't focus on hybrid, focus on the activity and work out which activities are best done remote and which activities are best done together would be the best piece of advice I've got. And one other final thing on that, Matt, if you've got one person remote and everybody is physical, then do it all remote and vice versa. So my view on this is you're either physical or you're remote. It's very hard sometimes to make sure that people feel really connected unless you've got a really, really good uh, uh, virtual means or video means to be able to run that. So really think about those activities and be as agile as you possibly can. And the other bit I would say is just try some things. You know, we're going to get things wrong. It's OK to get things wrong. You know, we've got to learn as we go forward with this. Indeed, absolutely. And uh, many thanks to all of you for your questions today. And Joe, fantastic to, to have all of your insights and wisdom on, uh, on a brilliant topic. You've been a great guest. So thank you very much for your time today. Um, if you are not yet a member of CMI, then you'll find a link in the, uh, the live chat today where you can find out much more about the CMI and what we have to offer. Uh, do sign up as a friend of CMI. That's free. Uh, but have a look at what else we have to offer in terms of membership. Uh, hugely valuable services available to you. But Joe, many thanks once again, and uh, we look forward to seeing everybody again next week for a new, another Better Managers Briefing. And thank you very much, Matt, and good work to the CMI and all that you are doing, some great work that you carry forward. So thank you for having me. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Better Managers Briefing with Matt Roberts, Director of Membership at the Chartered Management Institute. CMI members can now access more content and insights around the subjects raised in this podcast through our Management Direct portal. If you are new to CMI or yet to access our range of management and leadership resources or the other benefits of membership, please visit managers.org.uk forward slash management direct.